welcoming you back to the Close Quarter Dad podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be sitting down uh, with an incredible woman who has done some amazing work in the space of ADHD and ADD. So if you are a parent of a child struggling, or maybe you've struggled with this uh, on your own in your past, this is an interview that you do not want to miss. It's actually from the conversation that her and I had in the Child Safety Summit of 2022. And this is, uh, this, there, there's an enormous amount of takeaways and learning and gold nuggets and reflections that you're going to get from this. And I promise you, again, if you're a parent or someone who has handled or is handling these situations and has a lot of questions uh, about healing and about getting through this, then uh, I hope you get some value from this. I'm certain you will. So let's get started with our conversation with my friend, Avigail Kimpel. And uh, let me know uh, afterwards how you enjoyed this, what you got from this conversation. And please make sure if you do have any questions that you're able to reach out directly to her at hyperhealing.org. And uh, I'm sure she'll be there to help you. So let's get started with this episode on the Close Quarter Dad podcast. Thank you. Welcome to the Close Quarter Dad podcast, discussions about raising your kids with confidence, safety, and resilience. I'm your host, Adam Mitchell, and I hope you enjoy this episode. I am joined today with my friend who's coming at us all the ways from Israel, Abigail Gimple. And she's the author of Hyperhealing, The Empowered Parent's Complete Guide to Raising a Healthy Child with ADHD Symptoms. Now, this is a book uh, built by many years of research and refinement in which she built an effective uh, suite of courses for parents, a college curriculum, and worked with an extensive range of clients. She's been happily married for 24 years and she has six children. Abigail, I wanna welcome you to the Child Safety Summit. I wanna thank you so much for, first of all, before we get into anything, I wanna thank you for the wonderful and beautiful work uh, that you do for parents all over the world uh, and the commitment that you have uh, to these children. I know we've done a lot of discussion uh, before this, Done, this isn't this isn't our first rodeo here recording this. So um, we've we've talked quite a bit here already, and uh, it's really occurred to me that you know before anything, I just kind of want to step into some acknowledgement of your work and your willingness to change the lives of not only cha- children but uh, parents and how they see their children, families, and uh, in the future. So thank you for that. Oh my God. It's absolutely my pleasure. And, uh, it's such an honor, honor to be here with you. And it's nice to be able to say that a few times because I think you're doing fabulous work and it's very rare to see fathers stepping up to the plate. This is usually the mother's job. And I think that's a big mistake, uh, because we need to hear strong father figures speaking. That's uh, it, it seems to be quite absent. So good for you for being that father advocate, leading other fathers in the right direction. All of our children will benefit from your work. Thank you very much. You know, I have worked for the last, coming up on 25 years now with children in martial arts. I've spoken at a lot of schools all over the Northeast, and I've really made it much of my life's work to work with the children and adults. I have have a lot of mostly adults in my community, but early on in my career at my martial arts school, as you can imagine, there were a lot of children. 
ADD and ADHD, those acronyms were something that I heard a lot of. In preparing for this interview and this conversation with you, I spoke, I want to reach out in some of the men's groups that I'm a part of and, and connect with some of the dads there. And I really wanted to hear from them. What were some of the stories that kept them up at now? What are, the, what are some of the narratives that they had or, or the observations that they had with their child uh, who had ADHD or ADD? And what are some of the safety concerns that they had? Because I really wanted to step into that with you. Um, but I realized through some of these conversations that it wasn't, hold on a second, it's not a disorder. That, let, that's first. Let's, let's understand, and one parent in particular said, they just have a different ability. Mm-hmm. They have a different ability. It's not a disorder. Now, in, your, um, in, in the first part of your book, you really break this, break this apart. You deconstruct this beautifully. But I'd like to hear from you how we are misunderstanding this. We're putting a label on as a disorder. And that's sort of the baseline where we're putting our children and we're working from there, which from what I read in your book, that's not the right approach. So let's let's start from that point and then we'll go forward. Okay. So the way I see it, ADHD. Oh, there we go. You hear me? Perfect. Uh, so the way I see it, ADHD is, uh, even though it's, it's very um, confusingly called an attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, that is a disservice to children who are diagnosed with it. And the same way, when we take a child to the doctor, we expect a nuanced understanding of what's going on. Um, we would expect the same thing when we take a kid to a psychiatrist, neurologist to get a diagnosis of ADHD. So if my child is, has a fever and a sore throat, we would expect the doctor to check all possible causes and not tell us in five minutes, oh, since COVID's going around, that's what your kid has. I want the nuance. I want that. I want everything about my child to be looked at. And that's what I do. That's the journey I've taken as a teacher. And then as a mom to my own children. And, uh, and also looking at my own story as a little kid, have certainly have had, having had a lot of ADHD symptoms myself, which did not come from what I'm about to talk about, which is the instant gratification personality. There are many different causes of ADHD symptoms. In my case, growing up, it was much more an inability to really be able to have a free mind to learn and understand and do homework because it was a kind of chaos going on in my environment. My parents were splitting up. There were a lot of us kids, not enough stability for me to be able to learn properly. But on the other side, majority of kids with ADHD symptoms would be children with an instant gratification personality, which is a healthy personality. And this is a personality that I would describe as a child wanting everything now and fun and fast and dangerous and interesting. That's what the, (laughs) is that you? (laughs) That was me. (laughs) So almost everyone I'm related to is that way too, apparently. Um, But so that, as opposed to what was going on for me, which would have been more on on the trauma front, which we also have to look out for. And that's why I use the analogy of the doctor's office because we have to be able to tease out, is the child going through trauma? But when we look at this child who is bouncing off the walls or daydreaming, 
this is a child who's looking for and thinking about novelty and engaging with, with his or her environment quickly and learning on the go and is an extremely curious person. As a matter of fact, the largest ADHD study that was, was out recently uh, in 2017, what they did not write in the headlines, but they did find in the study was that people with ADHD have higher IQs than, than uh, their peers of, uh, in their age group. So therefore, these are healthy brains, these are healthy kids, and they are definitely wired differently and they have their blessings, like what we talked about, the curiosity and the ability to engage our environment and learn quickly. And they have their challenges, which would be learning habits. That's the main thing that they're challenged with because if someone is just drawn into something because it's fun and interesting and it's, and it's, and gets them right this second, what they're not going to do is follow through with it because then it becomes unfun. And, uh, so therefore that's really our role. And, uh, and I think you're uniquely positioned to help kids like this as a martial arts, uh, I, I want to say professional, but I'm sure there's another word for it. What do we call That's you? right. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's profession for sure. Let's just call it a professional. Yep. I yeah. feel like there's a cooler word for it. All right. There is. Yeah. My ch- the kids will call me sensei. sensei. Can we call yeah. you a sensei? Sure. All right. I'm That's what they call me. <laughs> um, so you're a martial arts sensei and you're actually uniquely positioned because what you do is help children work through something that's difficult for them and create a habit, a, a, a habit using their bodies. So they're creating a physical habit. They're learning how to follow instructions. And you really walk these kids through an amazing process, which actually physically changes their brains and gives them something that they wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Yeah, that, well, thank you for that. Yes. Um, uh, among many, among many, for sure, of, uh, of professionals and educators and teachers and trainers and people who've committed a lot of their lives to working with children. And I want to take one step further into those points you made, but I, I want to kind of sort of step back and really make sure that the listeners and myself, because the instant gratification child really kind of blew my mind when I first read that. Um but I want to make sure that I understand it correctly. The instant gratification child is, is someone, are you suggesting, is not inside of that uh, ADD or ADHD clinical spectrum, that they're just a child who wants instant gratification, or they are, and you're, we're just trying to redefine it. Okay, so here's the confusion. And, uh, and I teach college, and yep. just last night, I was having this debate with my students because it's a hard concept to understand. ADHD is a list of symptoms. Yes. That's what it is. There are many different causes for that list of symptoms. So when I I'll say to my student, the reason why this person is, is exhibiting all the ADHD symptoms is because of emotional overload for any reason. And the way I described my own background would have been an emotional overload cause, or the reason why this person is struggling with ADHD symptoms is because they have a gut dysbiosis. And not only do they have ADHD symptoms, but they also have eczema or a runny nose or an autoimmune condition. And then my students will say to me, but one second, that means it's not real ADHD. 
And I say, there is no real ADHD. ADHD is a list of symptoms. It's behaviors that are manifesting out and therefore discomfort because your nose is all stuffed or you have a major off the chart sensory issue is going to produce the exact same symptoms as instant gratification. It's all going to be very, very similar. They line up quite nicely. So whereas a child who has an instant gratification personality is always on the go looking for something interesting, the kid with a gut dysbiosis is also kind of moving around all the time because they're uncomfortable where they are. Or if they have a sensory issue, they, the, the noise and the light is bombarding them to the point that they get angry quickly and they can't relate to their friends properly. Whereas if they were in a calm environment, then they would do great. So each of these has to be looked at separately and carefully, and most importantly, respectfully, so that the kid could get the right kind of help. But if we go back to instant gratification, 100% healthy child, 100% healthy personality. Not only that, we need this child. This yeah. child grows up to be the inventor and the, and the high-tech person. My husband, it could be in seven different cities in five days. And, he, and he's just rolling and going and, and he's on top of everything. Um, you know, he has uh, the ADHD, you know, leave his suits on the airplane and, and <laughs> things like that. But, uh, but he goes and goes and, and he's able to, to meet with people he's never met before and, and, and feel perfectly comfortable. There's the blessing. And that's fantastic. We need these guys around. And, and I know we need them because I've only been blessed by being surrounded my, by my ADHD children, husbands, students. On the other hand, they need partnership with the people who are better at following rules, better at starting something and following through, and none of us are self-contained. So they will fly high, at, number one, knowing that they don't have to be self-contained. And number two, if we, as the adults in their lives, help them create habits, social, emotional, academic habits, and, and they'll do great. Which is what you point out a little bit later in the book. And I think the word you, you talk about the collision of personality and environment, everything that you just kind of explained is what brings about the symptoms, right? And then you say, the parents, you are that environment, right? You are the environment. You are in the driver's seat for your child, whether it's through, and I know, and, and, and admittedly, I haven't gotten to section three, I skimmed through it, but I know that you go into diet there, you go into environment, you go into outdoor engagement uh, and, and, and just general engagement at all, where the parent is really responsible for that part of the environment. So that way, when personality collides with environment, the parent has greater agency over that and better understanding. Is that, would, right. would you say that's and, pretty and accurate? important? Yes. So definitely a lot of times the, the clash between a child and his or her environment is what's causing these uncomfortable symptoms. So if you took a child like this, instant gratification child, and you put that child out in the forest, that kid is going to be the leader. He's going to be the one to be able to build the shelter when it starts to rain. He's, yeah. he's going to be able to do all those things, stick that same kid in a classroom and clash. Everyone's unhappy because he's making everyone miserable because he's miserable because he doesn't have the skill 
for that setting. He needs to learn the skill. Um, so that's important. But the other thing I want to just bring out is that when we're talking to parents and you and I are both parents and we take our parenting quite seriously, we certainly didn't hold back. You have a big family. I have a big family and they should all be blessed. When we're talking to parents and I say that parent is the child's environment, it's not, we are not to blame for our child's challenges. We are there as, as the person traveling next to our child. I do believe in the cosmic concept that our child chose us and therefore we're journeying together and we're just the right fit. We're two puzzle pieces mm -hmm. and therefore we have what it takes or we need to develop what it takes to raise this kind of child. And that's what I'm talking about. Not from fault, but from you have the power within you and you just have to discover it to be able to help that child flourish. That's beautiful. There's, uh, there's quite a bit there that I I'd, I'd even want to kind of peel back. I was thinking about when my own son, my oldest son was in fifth grade, and I kind of want to pivot here a little bit and, and get your opinion. And this is sort of a bit of a selfish question because I'm looking at it for my own interests here. When my son was in fifth grade, the school, now my, my son was a preemie. And so the doctors oh. told us, yeah, the doctor, by the way, that's an early warning for ADHD symptoms. Yep. The doctor said that your, your, your son may encounter some attention issues. Hey, me, he may be very tactile. He may uh, not be able to this. Now we get all these different things. Okay. Well, one thing that we realized early on was that he enjoyed, I mean, really enjoyed designing and developing things with Legos and rector sets and Lincoln logs. And he could just say, he could really zoom in on that. In class though, when he was in fifth grade in public elementary school, they tried to, uh, they put him through a bunch of, well, they observed. And then the school psychologist and someone else came in and observed him in class. And then they suggested testing. So we went ahead and did that. And they uh, wanted to suggest that he may be ADD or ADHD. Now, his mother works in behavioral health and really advocated for him because we felt differently. And I don't think every parent has that. Um, not that they don't have the willingness, but sort of they're not in the inner circle to know that, no, hold on a second. Is the school getting money? Is the school getting kickbacks? Is there state funding? Is there federal money? Like, we, hold, we're going to bring some independence in here. We're going to run three rounds of tests on our own dime for our son to find out that the independent results were very different than the ones that the school gave. Wow. Yeah. And, and this is mm, not to dismiss. They are getting some funding for your kid, by the way. This That's, is not. Number two talks about that. This is not to dismiss or. <laughs> or point a finger in any direction and to say, because there's a, wonder, a lot of wonderful, well-hearted, well-meaning professionals out there that are trying to do good by the kids in the public school system. That was just my experience. But what it did for me is that really supported a hidden narrative that I always kind of, I kept locked up in my head where at that time I had been teaching now for 10 years profession, worked with hundreds and hundreds of children. And one out of 10, and maybe even more than that, of the parents who came into my school would tell me, oh, my kids, I do an orientation and 
of course, I ask, what are some of the reasons why you want your child to start martial arts? This is a new thing for them. Are you familiar with it? like blah, blah, blah. And I will hear that the, the common ones are always down discipline, confidence, be able to defend themselves. But one out of 10, if not more, where my kid can't sit still. My kid has ADD. My child has ADHD. Okay. I'm certainly not going to dismiss that. But I bring the child into the environment where there's a community of other kids. They're doing physical movements through audio commands and visual modeling. And oftentimes they're doing it, a lot of these techniques in Japanese language. So I use a lot of Japanese. There's a whole other language that they've never even been. I mean, maybe they've ordered sushi before with their parents, but that's about the extent of it. So I come to, I really over 20 years determined and I, I'm 100% convinced that one out of five of those, one out of five of those really made me take a step back and say, okay, I need to change my template because this mm -hmm. child has very specific and unique needs that I really need to study and understand better. But the other four out of five that I was told had them, no way, no way. I didn't see that. Uh, how do you feel about that? So I totally agree with you. And uh, like I said before, you are uniquely positioned to help an instant gratification kid. I think that what you were observing, and it's something I've observed, your numbers are probably more accurate than mine because I haven't checked the numbers. But what I've seen is that in most cases, which is why I spend so much time at the beginning of the book on instant gratification, that's the whole first yeah. section. Yeah, it is. Is because most of these kids that's what's going on, their instant gratification. Let's say your number would be four out of five. So those kids will flourish in your classes because it's multi-sensory. They are able to get you know feedback from lots of different senses, which is incredible. They are learning in a tactile way. They're learning through their bodies as opposed to what we do in school, which is just your eyes and your ears. And, and they're moving. So every, and, and there's so much novelty and curiosity to it that you're going to keep them going in the most beautiful way. Uh, that fifth kid is going to be a kid who's still has the ADHD symptoms, but is not an instant gratification kid. Mm. Something else is going on with that kid. And it could be a severe social issue, emotional issue, learning disability, gut issue, lack of sleep, screen addiction, other addiction. There's so many reasons why that child is struggling, but they're not going to be able to shed it in your class because that's not what they're missing. The rest of the kids are missing your class. And I'll let you know that I'm, I put my money where my mouth is when I'm talking to you. I'm not just trying to flatter you. I put my oldest son in uh, a karate, like a dojo uh, kind of karate I, I don't know the difference. I took judo for a little while. Right on. <laughs> I, I think I failed judo, but <laughs> I couldn't do a somersault. Anyway, I moved on to CrossFit, which is much more my style. Yep. But, but my son was in uh, karate for three years. The reason I put him there was because I saw that he was struggling with memory. Mm. I know that sounds strange, but you don't understand what you're doing for these kids. I put him in there because I, I, as a special education teacher, know that a child could learn to build their memory either through studying and reviewing and all sorts of uh, techniques like that, which I work yep. with, but they also could learn memory through their bodies. And all these katas that you teach them, 
Is that how you call it in your yep. kind of karate? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Okay. So all the katas that you're teaching them build through their physical memory, strengthen their, their uh, mental capacity. And after three years of my son being twice a week in this amazing uh, course, you can't tell that he ever had a memory problem. It's gone. It's been cured. And, and his coach also, is it not, not his coach. It was his sensei um, was, who was unfortunately murdered in in a terrible terrorist attack a couple of, a couple of years ago, but his sensei was like a, like an uncle to him, like a guide to him and really helped him in so many different areas with everything you're doing with the confidence, with, with, uh, a self self-awareness. And now he's, is a combat soldier, which doesn't allow me to sleep at night, but he's a combat, a combat soldier and he's an elite combat soldier and he he's done Krav Maga and he's actually, um, very successful. And his friends have looked at him and said, you took karate when you were younger, didn't you? They were able to, to feel it on him. And, sure. and that's the power of it. Yeah. That's really interesting. And I think it's a, a beautiful pivot into the next question I had, uh, which is you call it the art of the compliment. And I'm interested, boy, there's a couple things you said there that I just, I'd really love to dive into. And I'm so curious about one is that difference between the parenting, because you do, you know, the powerful parent is, is one of the things and powerful parent, the meaning behind the parenting and even the environment part that we just spoke about. But what about the third party influence? What about that sensei or what about the coach and, and their involvement here with the child, with the, the, you know, with it, with the child who is an instant gratification child or is having a, a challenge or a unique set of uh, conditions with their attention? Where does the third where does the role of a third party influence come in? That's a really interesting thing for me. Do you have anything to say about that? Yeah, sure. And, and, uh, I have so much to say on that because of, a, as a mom of instant gratification kids, I've always made sure to surround my children with other adults who were mm-hmm. as, uh, as, um, complimentary and saw the beauty in them. And, you know, I don't usually quote Hillary Clinton, but it does take a village to raise a child. And we all have to know that. And, and we, as moms instinctively know that we, we need each other. But what I've always positioned my kids in places, they happen to be incredibly charming anyway, but I like them to be in extracurricular activities with adults who just find them remarkable and beautiful and graceful. And, and that, and that gives way more than the parent can, because we have to love them. So when we are complimentary to them, it's very sweet and we're doing the right thing. But Mm. when someone from the outside gives them that affirmation, it's sometimes even more powerful. Yeah. As you're, as you're talking about this and, and, you know, we're wrapping up here, chapter one, powerful parenting, where any of the dads who are listening to this conversation, if anything, get this book and read the first part on parenting. It will, it, it, there have been, I've been working with children, as you've heard in this episode for decades now, and there, I, my paradigm has completely shifted based on the instant gratification child. And I've been able to fill in a gap that I've had been carrying now for over 20 years on, on trying to understand 
these children and these parents and like, where, how do I, how do I connect this? And, and this is what that first part of this book did. Uh, just wonderful. And, and as we're talking about this, I'm thinking about how Luke Skywalker was very much an instant gratification child. I don't know if you're familiar with Star Wars. I try to avoid it, but I do I have children. So I've yeah. had to uh, <laughs> a little bit. I'm not a, I'm not a big Star Wars guy at all. The, the story was part of my childhood, but he was a kid who couldn't sit still. He was bouncing all over the place and he lived with his uncles. And I'm sure there's some Star Wars people that are going to be texting me about how I have this wrong. But he really needed to be surrounded by the Obi-Wan Kenobi and Yoda and Han Solo. And that's really what grounded him so much. I uh, just uh, I'm thinking about that. I want yeah, to. Go- I like to pick out these. Uh, I actually look at the the Old Testament a lot and pull uh-huh. out characters from there. The one that always sticks out for me is King David. Sure. That there is no way King David did not have ADHD and he was totally instant gratification. Um, but he was also the one who was able to take on Goliath because he was more curious and he had more, uh, of that ability to step forward without fear. And, uh, and that's what allowed him to accomplish what he did. That's one. That's beautiful. Before we step out of this part of the book, I want you to share with us a little bit about, uh, the art of compliment. Now, in my school, I've really, especially with the, uh, some of the teenagers, some of the kids that have grown up in my dojo, they take on leadership roles, they work with the younger students. And I've got a couple of formats that I have with them. One is really to um, don't correct a lot, correct, one, focus on one thing and don't tell anybody that they're wrong, but obviously build up. And this is all common sense stuff. You go into better, you go, I mean, this is magnificent. But I want to maybe through uh, through your wisdom here, sort of craft my template a little bit better where I want a child and, and I would encourage any of the dads here to join me in, in this conversation and this thought here. But we want to look at what a child who is really struggling with, well, their instant gratification, right? So they're, 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 there's maybe if they're outdoors, I don't think that, you know, all the kids that I know that I've worked with in outdoors used to run a wilderness school too. And wow. it, was, it really benefited the children who were I would ADHD. Have every one of my kids to your school. Yeah, it was, it was just phenomenal. Um, but I really have a model of praising one thing inside of what their effort is and in the life cycle of their technique. We'll look at one thing, one area, and we want to build and optimize off that. Then we're going to offer our correction and don't correct, but explain what you expect and give pop, give expectations versus corrections. And then watch them and be witness to them doing it again and build and optimize and lift and elevate from there. But only focusing on one thing, not you do this, that's this, 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 that, that, this, and that. Um, how do you feel about that? And then I would like you to go a little bit into how you spoke about this in the book. So that's remarkable. And if every child could get that, we'd have a lot of stable, happy, confident kids around. Uh, and I, I wish that on every child. So I hope I hope you get to more kids as you go along. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, 
what I would, a, a couple of things here, specifically for instant gratification. If you're an instant gratification seeker, you want feedback and you want strong feedback. And therefore, as a parent or as a coach or as a sensei, they want your attention and they yeah. want it now and they want it fast and they want it loud. And guess what? They're going to take it any way you're willing to dish it out. So if they see that you're constantly giving positive feedback, then they're going to ask for the positive feedback through their behavior. They're going to continually do things that are impressive. They are working hard. They're going to listen to you. Oh, my sensei says that if I push myself harder, if I'm more precise, if I really focus on this, then that's a good thing to do. They're going to keep working to get there because they know that they could depend on you to give them that feedback. If you're a yeller and your kids, and trust me, I know that these kids send us to the brink of insanity. So they could make us go crazy and yell at them. If we do succumb to that and they know that they can get us there really quickly, that's what they're going to trigger all the time. Do they like when we yell at them? Yeah. I don't think so. They don't like it, but they're going to land up doing it because they need it. For them, it's oxygen. So when we see that we're responding, we're yelling at our children, we're using a lot of swear words, things like that. We're throwing them. It's my favorite. You throw the kid in the room, you hold the door closed, and then they're pulling and they're banging and you're holding the door closed. They've gotten 100% of your attention just now. You've literally given them this in incredibly huge gift. Is that the kind of gift we want to give our kids? It's the exact opposite of it. Now, why do we behave this way? First of all, instinct. We behave this way because we're uncomfortable. It's kind mm -hmm. of like a junk food response. Like the cookie's there. I'm going to shove it down my throat because I'm hungry. So we're kind of junk fooding our kids with our discipline with, by yelling, shouting, acting in a very immature and undisciplined way. But besides for that, we're scared for them. We want them to do well. So we figure if we correct them a lot, then they're going to do better. Yeah. And dads do this a lot. Just pointing that out and knowing a lot of dads. True. Now, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that as, as, as a woman, but uh, that is something. Say whatever you want. I, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. You've so, been married for 24 years with six kids. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> oh, I like that. <laughs> So basically we want, we expect a certain thing for our child and we see the neighbor's kids are behaving in a certain way. And we're like, oh my God, what about my kid? I'm failing here. It's a lot of our self failure voices. Those mm. are really toxic. When we see our child behave a certain way and then we take it back to ourselves, I'm a failure. Then the kid has dropped out of the picture altogether. We've lost the child, but we also are afraid for them. And we remember and we respond more poorly and stronger to negative behavior than we do to positive behavior. I think it has something to do with our caveman days where we used to, you know, we had to be constantly looking around for danger and yeah. therefore we were always responding to the negative all the time looking at, you know, so therefore nowadays we're still wired that way. We're responding to the negative. We're looking for the negative and we miss the positive. So if we're going to raise this child correctly, and like I said before, we're a pair with that child. We come together. 
So we don't have a choice here. And our communication has to be upgraded. And I do talk about being a powerful parenting powerhouse because if we can raise our children by shifting our own talk, the way we speak to our kids to something positive, they will come along naturally. And what we're really trying to do is actually it's it's a five-step plan and it's, this is not originally my idea. I want to give credit where credit is due. This is from Dr. Alan Kasdan, a brilliant psychologist who uh, I recommend you all look up. So he suggests a five, uh, I really follow more of the four steps in the plan. One is we have to be very enthusiastic with our kids because when we're angry at them, we are super enthusiastic. And as moms, we're very, very good at writing lists. We're, we're, we're that, that's our thing. You sat on the kid's head and then you, and then you uh, ripped his clothing and then you threw out your lunch and then, and we were listing, listing, listing. But when a kid does something right, we say, good job. Well right. done. Or we, we forget to notice because he's supposed to behave well. And by the way, my daughter informed me it's her job not to behave well. So they're not supposed to behave well. This is what she informed me just recently that like, Uh, My job is to help her behave well. Her job is to provide me with a job. So, (laughs) so therefore, enthusiasm is number one. Number two, and and I think that this works very well for you because all of these um, martial arts are very physical. We want to touch that child. We want to like make make the glue essentially of our compliment. So we're being enthusiastic. We're reaching out to the child. I know that this is, could be sensitive and obviously we're not meant to, you know, we have to keep a proper uh, relationship in terms of touch with kids, touching a kid on the shoulder, a high five, something like that is incredibly appropriate and very, very useful because the kid remembers that these are tactile kids. The, the next thing we want to do is break it down. Tell a child exactly what they did right. Like I said before, they know exactly what they do wrong all the time, but they never learn from what they do wrong because we're scolding them. I don't remember the last time I learned while someone was yelling at me. So all of those long lists of things that we're saying to our kids, they're not absorbing it at all. And then we send them to our their room and we say, now you think about it. Really? <laughs> okay. You know, I got into a fender bender on the road and the person yelled and screamed at me. I don't go home and think about it. I go home and rage about it. So therefore they're not thinking either. So that we have to be careful with our words and not say silly things to them because we really meant to be slightly intelligent. So we want to break it down because we're handing out emotional candies to our kids. So the more we tell our children, you've done uh, you walked in the house and then you uh, and you smiled at me right away. That really made my day when you walked in and smiled at me. And then you put your backpack where it belongs. You're helping me keep this house nice and organized. I really appreciate that. And then you came in and respectfully asked if there was anything to eat. That's fantastic. You are you are a very respectful person. And we're complimenting, of course, the child's choices and actions rather than who the child is. We're not going to say you came in and you were so handsome, even though obviously they're very handsome, 
but they're, we're not saying that because that's just a gift. That's something that they come by naturally and that could turn into a curse. But when we are talking about a compliment to a child, we want to say to them what they've chosen to. We want to celebrate what they've chosen to, the step they took forward and how they made a conscious decision to do well. So in your, in your classes, you would say you chose to focus right now, instead of you're naturally skilled at this thing, you chose to focus and you really moved your body in such a nuanced way that you got it just right. So that would be a very good compliment, but look at those. You just so naturally muscular would be a bad compliment because then it has nothing to do with the child. You have a beautiful voice has nothing to do with the child. It's just one of the gifts that the child showed up in the world with. But you sing in a way that just makes everyone around you happy. Now that's a compliment. Uh, so the, the final thing here is to, of course, we're saying it right away. And that's very important. We want to link the behavior to the compliment because I said we're giving out candies and they need to know what they got the candy for. The final uh, point is what Dr. Kazan says, don't caboose. Don't add a fixer-upper to your compliment. Don't say, you came in from swimming, you put your bag in the closet that was really responsible and you left your bathing suit in the bag and now it's going to get moldy. Because what happens is that, what do we hear? You left your bathing suit in the bag and now it's going to get moldy. That's all you hear. So whatever you said before is gone. It's it's, it's a clean slate and all. It's like, for example, I often um, host, uh, you know, other families and and holidays. It's uh, always here. So I I have big crowds coming over. So I work hard on making a nice meal. And uh, so imagine if I finished a meal, we had 25 people over, we're clearing up. And my husband says, honey, that was a wonderful meal. Everything was tasty and colorful and healthy. I just loved it. What was with the dessert? It was, it was a oh, new recipe. It was a little drier than your usual. That's all you're going to focus on. That's it. That's all I yeah. heard. And we think the reason we do that is because, again, we want the best for our kid. Or we feel shame that our kid made that mistake. That's the other part that we really have to check, but we, we really do want the best for our kid. And we're worried that the kid will never get better, but here's the thing. Mm. He's going to go swimming next week. She's going to make a meal next week. She's going to be in her soccer team next week. And therefore calm yourself down. You don't have to fix everything. Now you just have to make one tiny step in the right direction. And that compliment is going to be exactly that step you need. And then the next time the kid goes out, use a reminder. When you come in, make sure to empty your bag so that we can put everything in the laundry right away. How impactful is it for an instant gratification child when they're reminded of, you, we, we play it out just like you said, and then mom comes home. And then you play it out again, but four hours from now. Does it, with that child, does it have as much stiction? Like, does it, does it still count or are they past it? Or does oh. oh, it counts so much. Yeah. It's great. As a classroom teacher, I, I would compliment my students. And then I would say, 
oh, and bring me your journal. Right. And I'd put it on my desk and at recess, usually teachers use the kids journal to write nasty things in, you know, Sam didn't sit in his desk today. And then he walked around the classroom, like, cause they, they need to let the parent know as though that's going to help the child in any way be better. And frankly, my little pet peeve here is that parents are expected to come into the classroom somehow and discipline the children instead of the teacher taking full responsibility for her own classroom. And as a classroom teacher, I can say that because I never ask the parents to discipline their children in my room. That's my room. Yeah. And, and they do what they need to do. But what I would do is take that, that, that diary or journal, however you call it. And, uh, and I would write at recess time, uh, Sam listened right away. And he was the first to open his book today. And uh, that's the gift that keeps on giving. So say it and say it and say it and send a note home and write a WhatsApp and yes, keep it going. Wow. So what I picked up from here, I, I really like the, uh, the part you said about the making the list because I immediately went to my youngest son taking the garbage out and not noticing that the garbage bag was ripped at the bottom and last <laughs> night's dinner plates that were all scraped in the garbage just got dragged down the hall, out the door, down the porch and, and hearing myself say, Dude, you like you got it all over the kitchen floor, and now it's down the hall. You got it all over the deck. We just got the deck stained, and now there's gonna and now the dog. Look at the dog. Is it? And it's like you're right. You do like instead of like you should have been aware that it wasn't ripped. Instead right. of that one thing, and that but if he did take it out, and everything was be, thanks, buddy. Good job. Exactly. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Good reminder. That's beautiful. Yeah, and it's a hard one. It is. What but. I do actually at home, I haven't done this in a while because my kids are really getting bigger, is that I, I have a just a, a binder that I keep on the counter. And throughout the week, I write down um, when one of my children overcomes a challenge because really success in life is learning. You can't change your reality, but you can respond to your reality. Your reality. Yeah. And therefore, overcoming challenges is really going to be their ticket to success. To the, that they know how to do that. So the kid comes in with a piece of cake and, and you, and sees his sister sitting there and says, Hey, you can take half of it. He just overcame. That was magnificent. I want to write that down. A kid uh, came in and, and saw her sister and her sister had just put on makeup. And instead of saying, you look stupid said, wow, you did a great job with your makeup overcame there. Very nice. So I'm going to write that down in my book. And when we do get a chance to sit down together Friday night, I'll read that out loud. So that's again, the gift that keeps on giving. Not only am I saying it out loud, I write it down and then my husband gets to hear it. And I also teach them to compliment each other that way. It's a great idea. I like that. Um, so we've spent the majority of this conversation inside of the parent, right? I'd like to take a couple minutes and really go into the child. And you talk about in the next part of the book, habit formation. Um, but then you kind of call habit formation behavior modification. I do. Uh, yeah. Can you talk about that? I, was, I, I didn't, I think I understand, but I'd like to hear what you mean by that and where we're going with the habit formation and why this is so critical. So basically none of us can succeed without having healthy, good habits. Yeah. 
You can't, you know, you need to know how to do routines. You know, kids with ADHD tend to be shocked every morning when you wake them up. And uh, that that's unreasonable because it's the 10,000 and first time that you're waking them up. So they should already know this. And the reason they don't know it is because a, we're using our own physical strength to get them out of the house every morning because we need them out. And so we're therefore not letting them to use their own engine to get themselves going. And, uh, and B there's nothing drawing them in today. There's nothing exciting. If they were going to six flags today, they'd be up and dressed and out the door first. But when they don't have something pulling them, they revert back to what's most comfortable for me right now. Well, my warm bed is most comfortable for me. I'm staying here right now. So every morning it's a battle and that's because of their personality. So therefore what we're trying to do with instant credit with, with uh, building the habit is use behavior modification, because what we're doing is we're kind of imposing external gratification to help the child develop a habit. We're only going to choose one routine at a time. Let's say it's going to bed at night because that's, that's a big one because they're not going to get up in the morning if they haven't gone to bed. So we're going to break that down into four steps so that even if they miss one of them, they still succeed here. There's no punishment. If they didn't make it, you put a little line there. They just didn't get their point. But what we're doing is over a month long uh, program we're actually creating new neural pathways. And, and this is an example I give. And I always think about my kids. I think about two different kids doing this at the same time. So let's say you have this big jungle and, uh, and you have the, the, the thing that the kids have to do in this jungle is they have to get from one side to the other every day for a month. So you have You want it to get easier as you go, right? So therefore you got one kid who's kind of a systematic kid who will think to herself, what am I, how do I get back and forth through this forest or this jungle every day? And they'll take the exact same route back and forth every day. So by day 13, they have a path, but then there's kid number two. (laughs) I like to think it's my oldest daughter who will get into that jungle and then see a butterfly. And just go <laughs> after the butterfly. And then is that a rabbit? Oh, wow, the rabbit. Oh my God, a tree. I bet I could climb that thing. So that's the way it works. And the, the jungle looks exactly the same as it did the first day. That's the kid's brain. It's a jungle. So the more we create habits and doing the same thing for 30 days, the more the jungle starts to make sense and have pathways, neural pathways. Yeah. But if we're never doing the same routine twice and we're following the butterflies, then we don't get to organize our brain. And, and this is, uh, this is um, actually the brain. Oh, I'm trying to remember the name of the book, but it's, it's fantastic. I know that I'm, it's written in my book, so you'll find it, but no. uh, I can't remember the name of it this minute. But the point is that, that what we're doing is, exter- is this external excitement for the kid by prizes. Now our relationship with our children is not transactional and that's really important. We're not giving prizes all day long and we are flowing with our children, but for one hour a day or half an hour a day, that's when he knows that he's entering this program. And during that time, we're going to be complimenting him or her for every single step of success got out of bed at seven, 
you're dressed by 7:20, you've brushed your teeth and you took and you ate some breakfast. Four successes and as we're going through the biggest reward is our compliment. Mm. But besides for that they earn points. And then we have a mini store. And in terms of the store, uh, and this is important for me to say is that I prefer experiential rewards to uh, to physical rewards. So I would much prefer take my kid camping or send my kid camping with uh, her father than uh, than buying my kid um, a toy because those experiences we remember way longer. But what we're yeah, going to do course. is set up a program where the children can can uh, earn all sorts of prizes for what they're doing. And over the month, they start doing it on their own. The more we drag them forward and beg them and plead with them and hope they succeed, the less they'll succeed because it has to be them making the choice every day to get on that route through the jungle and create the pathway. So Abigail, I want to ask, you made a couple of really, much of what you're saying seems that it would apply to any child. I mean, this is right. It's just. It's just great parenting is what you're, you know, that, that's the mic drop you're putting on us right now. However, I'm interested, you mentioned, you mentioned 30 days is habit, habit forming. Do we find that uh, instant gratification children can form habits faster or are looking to create habits or have the neural pathways? I mean, I, I don't know. This is because I understand in, in my teaching, my training, my parenting, 90 days to quality physical habit formations. Mm. Okay. So you guys know, instant gratification kids do not create habits faster. As a matter of fact, they are a little bit slower because they're more resistant to Mm. habits than, than other kids. So uh, uh, to answer your, your first point, yes, this is great for every single child for an instant gratification kid. He needs it. Yeah. So you you can't skip this with other kids. You can experience it. Yeah. 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 So Um, but what we're doing is we're, we're choosing a routine, let's say the morning. And so the first month we're doing the basics. The Mm -hmm. second month we would take those basics and put them as one star on the chart. And then we might add to that, making the bed. And we might add to that, maybe, uh, preparing their own sandwich, something like that. We're, we're going to up it a little bit and, and, and then we're going to phase it out as, as we go. So we're going to give less rewards individually for the first month's things. And we're going to add to that. Some kids don't need that. I've found that in many cases, we're going to take the same kind of habit and we're going to upgrade it in three phases. It's interesting because it sounds a lot like what you were describing with the compliments where you're kind of, you know, talking about saying what the kid did right. And then describing and, and uh, giving an example of what the kid needs to do more and you're upping it. And then you're having the kid do it and then you're upping it again. So that's what we're doing with the habit as well. It's really quite parallel. How are, how does an instant gratification child feel different when it comes to second, third, fourth place recognitions? Like I know in our community, my kids, when they got a a participation trophy, that went in the garbage. They were like, just no, no, they're not. But I'm wondering in a child with, you know, 
with instant gratification child, how do they view, uh, do they have a, a need to be in first place? Uh, it, it, does that not matter? I'm curious about that. Uh, they definitely have a resistance to failure. And we yeah. see a lot, the, these kind of kids who will get really excited about learning how to play the piano and then drop it when they are not instantly Mozart. And right. uh, they, so they definitely struggle with that. I wouldn't feed into it though. Right. Yeah. Because they, they have to learn how to balance that and give space. It's, it's a major social skill to be third and, and be good with it and compliment number one. So this is something that they might struggle a little bit more with. And they also, uh, part of their package often is they're very emotionally sensitive which on the, on the one side, they might notice other people's emotions. I had, I had one uh, teenage boy describe to me that when he goes into a room, he, he, it's, his head starts to buzz because he's looking around and he's picking up everybody's emotions. He's looking at interactions. And he's seeing, is that person being insulted? And, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a big weight on a person, but they also are more emotionally sensitive to being insulted. Yeah. So- so definitely that's something that they have to grapple with and, and let's let them grapple with it, with us holding their hand, no participation rewards for our kids. Right. I don't want any low expectations. Yeah. These are Agreed. powerful kids, totally capable, totally healthy. Let's let them prove themselves. That's right. Agreed. Hallelujah. Uh, hmm. I, I was going to, you know, I have children who will in a sparring match they lose and they just lose it yeah they cannot lose and or if they get taken down uh they get angry and like just the fact that they lost is just I, and sometimes i wonder is this an instant gratification or i was you know this would be like more is this a is this a behavioral issue is this a home issue a parenting issue um, is it a, a chemical issue? Um, but I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying here. Uh, I mean, it could be any of those, right? Well, I would add to it. You actually, there's one more that I would put in there that I think is most likely. And that would be more of a, a fixed personality. Amazing book mindset. Highly recommend you all read it. And uh, it's a little book and you will thank me afterwards for having uh, my, my, my army son, I just bought that for him and he, he read through it and sent me a little thank you note for, uh, for buying it for him. Um, so if this is about a, a fixed personality means a person who has to be self-contained and perfect all the time that uh. has to, that the expectation for them is that they're going to be the friendliest and the smartest and the best looking and the fastest and all that stuff. And therefore they can't tolerate any kind of loss because essentially what happens is that completely wipes them out, their identity out, because their identity is the winner. Their identity is the fastest, which is why they're going to give up on piano quickly. I'm supposed to be talented. When you tell a child that they're talented, instead of telling the child that they're a hard worker, back to the compliments, when you say that the child's talented, that means that they're always supposed to be talented. And they can't mess up and they can't, you know, try something new and experiment. And therefore we've trapped them into this kind of curse of this expectation. We tell a child that they're smart, then we're trapping them 
into always needing to be smart. Now it's great to be smart. Here's the problem. You can't always be smart. You sometimes need to find out. You need to ask people who are older and wiser than you. This is not my field. I have no idea about this one. But if I'm the smart person, I need to know everything and I need to know it right now and I need to be clever about it. So I'm either going to melt down or I'm going to opt out. I'm going to, I'm just, I don't want to be part of that game because I I don't want to fail. I don't, I don't want to show anyone that there's a possibility of failure. And uh, this tends to be something that also creates lots of, of ADHD symptoms. And uh, either it's going to be with a lot of aggression or a lot of quitting. And, uh, and it's something we really have to get a grip of, which is why I recommend people. I talk about it for a full chapter in my book, turning, um, turning, um, turning curses into blessings. That's what it's called. Um, And, but that's something that every one of us has to internalize because we've all been cursed. We've all been told we're good at something or bad at something. You know, I I was talking, my older sister was just came by. She, she lives in South Africa. We're quite an international family. So she came by to visit for a couple of weeks and we were talking about our childhood. It was a fun kind of reminiscing uh, thing. And when we were growing up, I was the singer and she was the dancer. And therefore I wouldn't dance because that was, that was her role. And that would, it was almost embarrassing for me to consider dancing because that, that was, I was the singer, but I had to always be singing and I had to be singing well, and I had to perform. And, uh, but what about her? Did she like to sing? She loves to sing, but she only discovered that when she allowed herself to kind of squeeze herself into my territory. And, uh, and both of us discovered that we sing and dance and, and that was really fun. But uh, when we pigeonhole our kids, they do land up with what you're describing. That's fascinating. That was really helpful to me personally as a teacher, but it makes a lot better sense now through your explanation. Um, I want to be respectful of time, but I've got so much money. I want to really step into uh, the third part of your book uh, on environment, where you go into exercise and diet, and um, you talk quite a bit about children, uh, you know, children who are instant gratification or ADHD, they are, uh, they have a hard time making friends. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then also screen time. Like, I think we all know this, but I, I'm not so sure if parents really fully understand the depth of problem that is being created when a child is exposed to six hours of blue light screen in a day, right up to the time they're going to bed or they're sitting there playing uh, Minecraft for mm-hmm. from the time they get home until the time they go to bed, what is going on with long-term effects? This isn't oh, yeah. like next week and they'll be done with it because we're gonna go fishing up. No, no, this is some serious stuff here. There's so many things here that we could talk about. I'm gonna ask you to, to Take the helm. Dad, take the time. Let's let's cover some of it. The dads in your group deserve to have uh, the information. Go first for of all, diet. Yeah. So important. So important. And I can only I mean, it's important for everybody. Right. But especially with this group of children, we really need to be sensitive to it. Right. Um, I have not gotten into this part of your book. I skimmed through it. But I do know 
that if we're talking about sugars, we're talking about carbohydrates, we're talking about, um, uh, we're talking about even hydration. Mm, There's a number yeah. of things that we really need to pay attention to with, with, with children in, in, the, in, these, uh, in these states. Can you talk a little bit about this? Yeah, sure. So a lot of people ask the question, what does diet have to do with instant gratification with ADHD? And the truth is it might not necessarily have anything to do with instant gratification because it's, it's kind of a second cause of ADHD symptoms. And how are we going to know that we really need to focus in on diet? We have to look at the child's physical uh, appearance and also what's going on inside of them. A child who is born by C-section or preemie uh, is always going to need some dietary boosting always because they're, they, they're born at a disadvantage and their gut is seated at birth. And uh, if they have not had a natural birth and for reasons to save the mom's life or save the baby's life, there's always good reasons for it, but the child is born at a disadvantage and a, and a preemie child also does not have the capacity to really absorb the mom's first gift to the child, which is her gut microbes. And right. that's what she's passing on through the birth canal. And, uh, and it's so remarkable because now we're reading articles about uh, in 10 years from now, they're going to be able to create babies in a lab. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what is it? You know, they're playing, they're playing God here, but we're, we're completely missing every single tiny little interaction between mother and child that you can't get in a lab. So the first one would be that the, the gut microbes. Now we're looking at if a child has been on antibiotics a lot. And, uh, I, and this is a strange one. I've seen a lot of ADHD symptoms with kids who are conceived through IVF and I can't, dis I can't explain it yet. I haven't done the studies that, that on this and I'd like to one day, but that's for another time. But we're also looking at if a kid has asthma, allergies, autoimmune conditions, asthma and allergies are all autoimmune conditions, celiac and other skin, skin issues, things like that. If the kid has a constant runny nose, headaches, stomach aches, tiredness, all this stuff used to not be naturally part of childhood. The more our environment is polluted, the more chemicals we shove into our kids' bodies, the more this becomes a just something we accept as, as a childhood thing. But this is not meant to be there. So if we're seeing that, then the first thing we're going to go to is the, as, is the gut because our gut creates the, the neural uh, transmitters for our brain. So if our gut's not working, our brain's not working, which is why, by the way, people who exercise a lot have usually are, tend to be much sharper because they're, they're getting their whole system flowing better. And those neurotransmitters are getting to the brain in a much more effective way, just uh, putting it out there. Uh, so what we, what we want to do in that case is remove uh, a couple of food groups. I always go with gluten, dairy, and sugar first. Right. Those are the things we want to get rid of. What we want to add is obviously all the colors of the rainbow, fruits and vegetables, and as many as possible, healthy grains and legumes are great. And of course, clean meat. And in some cases, there, there are some schools of thought that say, uh, stay away from that because that is inflammatory. And we're adding also omega-3, sometimes a multivitamin, depending on the case If the kid has constipation 
then I go straight to magnesium because magnesium is helpful for constipation and for sleep issues. And therefore, if we see either one of those, go magnesium. It's my favorite. The B complex is very calming and very soothing to the system. So we're going to look at each kid as an individual and, uh, and fit the diet to them. Obviously, we want to hydrate only with water and at least eight glasses a day and, uh, and a lot of physical activity. This is something that's really hard to, for parents. And I walk parents through it with a 30 day challenge so that it's, it's finite. And then you see at the end of 30 days, what's happening with the child. Is there dramatic improvement? I remember a case where I was just in a, a driving a carpool with my, with my son and, and a friend and, uh, and the kid had a constant runny nose. So I said to the parent, maybe you want to try taking the kid off of gluten just to see what happens. The next week, there was no runny nose because the parent had actually took, taken gluten out, which I was very impressed by. A month later, the kid had a runny nose again. And I said, what happened? He said the holidays happened and, and the parent couldn't hang on to it any longer. But this stuff is powerful. When one of my sons was, was diagnosed with celiac, um, again, autoimmunity in childhood is not something that we used to have to deal with. So we have to figure out what's going on in this environment. So when I took him to the doctor, the doctor said, oh, and by the way, I want you to know that kids with celiac tend to have ADHD. And I say, why is that doc? And he's like, oh, I'm not sure, but I know why. I was just wondering if maybe he had something to add. It's because your gut is in major disrepair and therefore you can't concentrate well. Right. So yeah, it seemed pretty obvious to me, but we add that to sleep issues, which magnesium could help, yep. but sleep issues and screen time all kind of mixed together in a terrible cocktail because kids are watching screens too late. Their cortisol is way up high in the sky. They're stressed beyond belief. And therefore they're not sleeping well, they're having nightmares and, uh, and they're not flourishing. I just want to tell you a sweet story that I, that I had just recently, I had met with a client once and I did this intake just the way you do. And, uh, after listening to everything she said, I said, there's something around the sleep and the screens. So it's a seven-year-old. I said, can we try just for the next week or two to, to limit dramatically screen time and screen time is that's a major uh, cornerstone of my program because it affects just about every kid at this point. So she did that. And she wrote, she wrote me an email just a couple of days ago and said, I want you to know that my son's nightmares are gone. He's no longer wetting his bed. He's sleeping beautifully. He's calm as anything. And he's furious at me that he doesn't get his screen, but the dramatic improvement over three weeks of no screens on his sleep and his behavior is, is miraculous in my opinion, and a lot of hard work. This goes all the way back to the beginning though. I mean, where we were talking about parenting, they have to change their lifestyle. You know, I wanted to kind of put the brakes on when you were talking about, you just kind of skimmed over meat and clean meat. Uh, most, most dads don't know what that means. No. Uh, you know, they'll say, well, all right, well, maybe that means get hamburger at the grocery store instead of McDonald's. No, it's a, it, you really need to, un I, I mean, I personally feel because I pay close attention to this majority of my diet is plant-based. 
Um, but grass-fed, pasture-raised meats, uh, taking your child and being part of that process, I'm sure you might agree with me, oh, going to the local farm with your child, having them maybe maybe get a couple chickens, have them go and take care of the chickens and take, get the eggs, but, but eating a whole foods diet uh, and understanding what that means, means that you need to shift your lifestyle, mom and dad. You really need to radically shift your lifestyle and not impose this on your child because of their, you know, because their instant gratification or ADHD, but you need to do it as well. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah. You hear there's two major factors here. A, you, you've got to lead by example. Yeah. And B, this is an educational process. And I got my kids on board very slowly. So the kid was celiac, his numbers were through the roof. Mm. And I know that if you have one autoimmune condition, you're in, at risk of developing a second one. So whereas celiac is no big deal because you just don't eat gluten, MS is a very big deal. And uh, we don't we don't want to go in that direction. So I said, I have to I have to uh, protect this child. And together we learned how to bring those numbers down. And we spent me and him. We spent a whole summer on a raw vegan diet and we juiced together and we made green smoothies. And we I was raw and he was almost raw because he, he's a grown okay. boy. And, you know, so he had some quinoa and some beans and things like that, but he was solid vegan, didn't touch a candy for two months. We went and take a blood test at the end of it. He's at zero. His blood can, his, his blood test is perfect. It doesn't look like he has celiac. The celebration he made when he did that, because it was not me and he wasn't doing me a favor. He was making his body, which is his temple into something healthy and vibrant. And then he could go out and play soccer with his friends and, and not get sick every 10 minutes. He did that. And it was, and he owned it. And, and just recently he started getting sick a bunch. And I said, you know, pay attention to your diet. What's going on there? What kind of choices are you making? And he said, you know what? I'm ready for quinoa again, I think. (laughs) (laughs) And, and he pulled back, but that's because we have a dialogue. And I eat healthy. Yeah, that's so important. That's everything. You know, I teach in the dojo. I teach and in in my uh, program with the dads is that you are what you eat. And that doesn't mean food and drink. That means what you put in your eyes, what you put in your ears, what you put in your skin. Uh, You are what you become, what you consume. Uh, And, you know, our eyes are not made to look two feet in front of us. They're made to look 20 feet and beyond and being able to see the horizon every day is an incredibly important thing for a young person to be able to be in front in the sun or outdoors and exposed for more than 20 minutes a day is human. You have to do that. And that's, I mean, for the big reason with close quarter dad, it's to get the men outside working with their children and training and playing and simulating and going through scenarios and having fun and getting lost in the woods together and figuring out all these different problems. uh, We spend a lot of time outdoors and we, when our kids were smaller, we, we took them on a hike every Friday. And they would fight and scream, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Leave me home this time. 
and we get them in the car and we get out there. And the second we open the door in the woods, whoo, we lost yep. them. They were out there. They were running. They were finding things. It was it, really magical. And uh, just recently we had a little bit of a vacation and we go straight to hiking. We don't, we don't go to malls. We don't go to indoor. I jump kind of places straight to hiking. Actually, when my sister was here, her kids never get out. They, they are really, you know, they live in South Africa where it's, it's a little more dangerous and, and therefore they, they have to uh, be more wary. So they don't, they don't get nature as much. I took them on a midnight hike by the moonlight. No flashlights. I said, everyone leaves their phones in the car. And I walked them through this cavern in the middle of the night. And uh, they were here for three weeks and they did amazing things. At the end of the three weeks, their mom asked them what was, what was the most fun. And they said it was that moonlight hike. And uh, they connected with nature. We need nature. We cannot, we are nature. We're, we're, we're made from the same minerals as the earth. Absolutely. We have to be with nature our eyes are clearer our skin is clearer our brain is clearer when we're outdoors so dads take your kids my husband just took two of my boys um out to the out to this beautiful crater and they did a three-day jeeping uh jeeping uh tour and uh so they did some driving some hiking and camping out at night making their own food over little fires and they were so dirty and so happy when they got home. That's great. There's so many opportunities too. And there's really no, you know, I mean, we could, we could just talk on this one point, but you know, if you're listening to this and you're just uh, ideas, go on, just download one of the so many cool apps that even Google has them there for free, where you can identify uh, tree leaves and you and your little daughter go out on the bike path and identify a new tree every day and you write it down in a journal that the two of you keep together. Or maybe you identify a medicinal plant or my, my daughter last year, her and I, we identified one new mushroom every day and what were the qualities wow, of it? How great. poisonous is it? How is it this? How is it? All kinds of things and make this a learning and engaging opportunity where you're growing together with each other but that outdoors and being there, being tactile fingers in the dirt, smelling the air and the wind and touching trees, so important, so important. I can imagine it's just even more important with children who are uh, instant gratification children or children. Oh, yeah, this is their home. This is where they need to be. Yeah. Well, Abigail, this brings us to the end. And, you know, I I have one question that I always ask people when I have this conversation with them, and I'd like to invite you into this question as well. If you were to just close your eyes and go back to that moment when you first became a mom, and this is going to be different because most of the time I ask it to dads, but when you first became a, let's, let's, let's change this up here. When you first, if, if you were walking through the hospital, and you were there delivering something or just kind of doing something, maybe going and seeing a client or something. When you're walking through the child ward and you see a new dad sitting there looking through the glass at his baby. And you just stop for a moment to appreciate that, reflecting back when you first became a parent yourself. Mm. And he looks over at you and he says, yeah, it's my first. And you can see he's filled with that 
that energy, that, that, that new parent energy of like, I have no idea how I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to afford this. I don't know all the questions, all the questions that we have. Uh, and then you just sort of giggle that, you know, I, I've raised six. And he asks for some advice. Mm. All right. And, and, and you only have a few minutes because, you know, your car is illegally parked or whatever, but you want to appreciate this one moment that could transform the life of that dad and help him. Uh, what would that be? Mm, that's an amazing question. I love it. And you totally brought me back to the hospital. Now I was on that journey with you. Um, I was kind of looking at my husband holding our first child and uh, it would have been nice to get some advice at that moment. But what I would say is this is a very powerful journey, but it's a long journey. It's not about one right thing that you're going to do. You're supposed to make mistakes. You, that, that's just part is built into it. But you're also supposed to know that you can seek advice and that every little good thing that you do, every warm smile, every overcoming your temper and holding back, every hug is going to go into your child's memory bank forever. So take it seriously, but know that your mistakes will be forgiven because they're supposed to be there. And the main thing I would say is, I mean, the main thing is really that it's a journey and, uh, and we kind of feel like bad for our oldest child and better for our youngest child. Like, well, she's got an experienced parent and that's silly because our oldest child got us when we were energized and we were excited <laughs> and our youngest child got us when we were kind of tired. And, uh, so, so therefore everyone gets the right package of parent for them and no one's disadvantaged and the mistakes you make on the first one were the mistakes that she needs to deal with in her life. You're separate people. Mm. And, uh, and the main thing is really as separate people, when your child makes mistakes and when you make mistakes, understand that there's no such thing as failure. There's only success and learning experiences. So keep going forward and keep learning and love that kid with everything you got. That's right. A lot of wisdom there. Thank you so much for that. Where can our listeners connect with you and share with us some of the work that you're maybe doing now that you'd like us to focus on? That'll be helpful. Sure. So the best place to find me would be at my website, hyperhealing.org. You can find me on Instagram at hyperhealing.adhd, on, uh, on LinkedIn, of course, as well, on my name, Abigail Gimpel. Um, so those are, those are places you can find me, write me a note, tell me what you think, ask a question. I'm always happy to respond. And uh, you can also look up my book on Amazon. It's hyperhealing. My second book will be coming out in September, which is Hyperhealing, Show Me the Science, which is less of the program of ADHD, what, what do we do with our children, and more of my first love, which is the scientific, historical background of ADHD, all those burning questions that I had. Why are we medicating? Is medicating the right decision? Is it our first choice? Where did it come from? Where does this uh, disorder come from? When did it show up on the scene? All that stuff that... I needed to know 
I put it out there as book number two for parents who are and and teachers and therapists and coaches who are super curious. Um, and I'm also been offering free trainings to parents, teachers, therapists, coaches who actually want to pass. They, they want to run their own groups to get parents together, because what I see with with my program, the hyper healing program is that if we do it together as a group and dads could do this together. And, and I think that this is something that you can help them with. If we do this together as a group and we encourage each other and we have a WhatsApp group where we choose a, a homework to do together. And then we encourage each other through the week. And, and, Oh, this week I, I did much better at staying calm and giving a compliment. And, and my kid actually got out of bed two two mornings this week. And that was a grand success. So if we do it together as a team, then I, then we really succeed much better. So I'm, I'm offering these free trainings to help uh, facilitate group leaders so we can really spread the wealth and, and the help as far and wide as possible. Abigail Gimple, thank you so much for your time and supporting the Child Safety Summit. I really appreciate you. I appreciate the new paradigms that you've created uh, for me. I've learned so much, like I already shared with you gaps in my own in, in my own profession and teaching and working with children have been filled in this conversation and i am certain that there have been a lot of men who've listened to this that have been helped as well and uh thank you so much and i look forward to continuing this conversation as more of your work comes out uh and we can have some uh, more meaningful dialogue like this with absolute pleasure i look forward to that and good luck with the summit and to all you dads know that you are absolutely vital and it is really through you that your children, your daughters, and your sons really develop a healthy self-esteem and really understand who they are. So your voice is absolutely necessary. Be strong, be supportive, and be there by your kids' sides all the time. I want to thank you for spending time with us on this episode today. It's truly appreciated. I hope you got some value from it. If you want to go ahead and leave any comments or questions, reach out to me directly. I personally answer all of the questions that you have. If you know someone like yourself who may find value in this episode, then please go ahead and share it. We'd also like to ask you to subscribe to Close Quarter Dad. This way you get updated every time a new episode comes out, wherever you're listening to this episode. Thank you so much once again, and we'll see you on the next episode of Close Quarter Dad.